0: Welcome back to the MLB.com StackCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We are 24 hours until the trade deadline, the perfect time to record a podcast, because I'm sure nothing will change by the time you hear this. Uh, so many things we're going to talk about. Felipe Vazquez and the future and whether the Pirates or not should trade him. Some interesting data on that. Uh, diving deep into Edwin Diaz and his problems, because he is a big trade candidate right now. Uh, Matt has a short follow-up on Luis Reyes who has been uh, still pretty good since last week. I'm going to dig into Marcus Stroman and some sweet spot information. A quick thing on Paul Goldschmidt. And before we do that, a quick apology on my part, because I totally biffed a fun part of our show last week. Uh, I suggested that maybe a team should do what the University of Michigan did in the College World Series and have a DH in the starting lineup, and then uh, as the, as the previous day's pitcher, and then pinch it for him. Uh, you can't actually do that; it is illegal. The Orioles and Earl Weaver did this many times in the early '80s, and specifically because of him, it was banned. You can't do it now. My bad. Thanks for nothing, Earl Weaver. <laughs> Earl
1: Weaver was so far ahead of his time. Uh, uh, I wish I'd gotten to watch him more, in, like in his. His uh, managerial prime, because he was all sorts of stuff like that. He was, uh, he was leading, leading the way on, on. Uh metrically inclined strategies
0: nerd twitter would have loved earl weaver i think well well ahead of his time uh, i want to start with felipe vasquez you know there's a ton of different names who may or may not be traded and it feels like it changes like every 15 minutes and we just learned that ken giles is not going to pitch before the trade deadline so he is unlikely to get traded uh
1: I that's don't... because he's got some elbow soreness apparently, right. no structural damage but that's bad that seems yeah, bad yeah you know if you're You wouldn't want to trade for him thinking he was a fix. You'd still have to go get someone else.
0: Right. And then you think about some of the other relievers who may or may not be available. Shane Green uh, is way outperforming his peripherals with his shiny ERA, so I don't know the teams are really going to be buying into that. And then you have a bunch of just kind of interesting guys like Chris Martin and Michael Gibbons, And, you know, Kirby Yates would be cool, but there's been no indication he'll get moved. Um, But Felipe Vasquez is the most interesting reliever right now, I think. Um, Because he is an elite pitcher. He's someone we've talked about on this show for years. You know, for all of the guff that Neil Huntington takes over the Chris Archer trade, uh, deservedly, he also sniped Felipe Vasquez from Washington in the Mark Melanson trade. Like, that's one of the best deals he's ever made. And part of the reason that Vasquez is so valuable, uh, he just turned 28 a couple of weeks ago, and he is under contract for several years at a very, very reasonable price. He is guaranteed only $12.5 million over the next two seasons, and then he has a pair of $10 million team options combined, combined. And then he has a pair of $10 million team options for the two seasons after that. That is for an elite reliever. Uh, almost nothing. That makes him incredibly, incredibly valuable. And if you look at the stack metrics, he is also obviously uh, incredibly valuable. This year, he has a 264 uh, ex- uh, weighted on base, which is tied for 23rd of the 149 relievers who have faced, faced 150 guys. And if you look at over the last three seasons, he has a 210 ERA. He has the sixth best weighted on base, of 124 qualified relievers the 10th best expected weighted on base he's really really good you probably don't need all the fancy numbers to know that uh, but just in case you don't know that I looked up his numbers on his pitches his slider over the last two years since the start of 2018 is the best slider of any reliever in baseball he's thrown it 215 times he's allowed four hits all singles one of which was a bunt anyway I could do a whole show on how great Felipe Vasquez is here's the question uh, that I posed to you his name has come up in trade rumors a lot the pirates correctly are asking for a ton uh the big rumor is gavin lux from the dodgers the dodgers correctly are saying no because gavin lux is hitting something like 800 900 1200 and triple that's like league average it, well <laughs> e- no like even still um I don't think they're gonna trade him. And then I have a whole bunch of reasons why I think they should. I want to know what you think. Should slash will they trade Felipe Vestas? I don't
1: think they will. It, it sounds like they, they don't they want to hold on to him because the the, the, the the pirates have sort of been reluctant to do any sort of full scale rebuild in the last few years and they still have some pieces who are kind of in their prime. I think they should kinda of, I think they should trade him for the reasons that you mentioned. I am still not convinced that it will not come down to the the Dodgers are the obvious fit. I'm still not convinced that at the end of the day, he will not get traded to the Dodgers. The question of whether or not the Dodgers will blink on. It won't be Lux. It could be Dustin May, who has been viewed as like a mini Noah Syndergaard
0: type. Uh, It could be uh, k Barry Ruiz, who's another catcher behind Will Smith. And Ruiz is is interesting in his own right. He does not have like great surface numbers this year. But if you look at his strikeout to walk ratio, they're like borderline historically good in the minors.
1: I go back to the world of Chapman trade. If the Cubs can trade Gleyber Torres for half a season of a world as Chapman, trading Gavin Lux for four seasons at a very modest salary of – Four and a half. Felipe Felipe, Felipe Vasquez at a very modest salary – is totally reasonable i don't
0: disagree with you i do think that the the torres for chapman trade has kind of come to be seen as an outlier like that hasn't really been repeated but here's my question about vasquez the thing that makes him so valuable aside from the fact he's just a very good pitcher uh is the contract right he's under contract for four and a half more years after this and i was thinking to myself How often do we see elite relievers still be elite after four and a half more years? Because we've seen a lot of these guys like pop up and disappear really quickly. This is not a scientific study, but I kind of wanted to see like at a quick glance what we could find. So what I did was I went back to 2015 and 2016 across those two seasons. And I looked for the top relievers, uh, both by Weighted on Base and by Fangraph's War. And they're an interesting mix of names because, yeah, some of these guys are still good, and some of these guys you are shocked were ever good. Here's a sampling uh, of these names in in really no particular order. Kenley Jansen, who's still good, not great. Andrew Miller, who's been sort of up and down. Uh, Zach Britton, who, you know, is probably still above average but isn't elite anymore. Wade Davis, who I still think could be good if he wasn't in Colorado. Uh, Sun Wang O, oh, who had like a minute, and I think he just got cut the other day. He's hurt. Uh, Davinsky, who has not really been that great over the last two years. Uh, Aroldis Chapman, who's still very good. Mark Melanson, who's good when healthy, hasn't really been. Uh, Pedro Strope, who's been very good up until like the last two months. Uh, Will Harris is pretty good. Uh, Carson Smith, who I totally forgot ever existed. There's a name. Uh, Dylan Batantis has been hurt. Hunter Strickland, hurt, not great. Nate Jones, hurt. Luke Gregerson, is he still on the Cardinals? IL? I can't even remember if he's still on the team or not. Ryan Dull, bonus points if you know a team he was on, Oakland. Uh, Yemi Garcia, who's been hurt. Jerry's Familia, who's been terrible this year. Joe Blanton, the Joe Blanton, and Craig Kimbrough. Others who were top 20 in fan graphs were uh, Cody Allen, who fell apart. Ken Giles, who kind of fell apart and then got good again. And, you know, Addison Reed, A.J. Ramos. The point is, a lot of these guys aren't still great three or four years from now. So if you're not trading for just, like, this playoff run, and if you're trading for, like, the whole span, is that less valuable? Because you don't think he's that
1: great. But he's still—even if he's not— as dominant three or four years from now, there's still a very good chance he will be dominant next year and maybe the year after. Maybe not in 2023 is the same picture, but you're not just getting a couple of months. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know you say that uh, Chapman Torres is kind of an outlier, and it is. Obviously, the Cubs haven't won. The Dodgers haven't won a World Series in 30 years. Basically, all they have left to do is win the World Series because they win the division every year. They've been to the World Series each of the last two years. I actually, I guess my point is I do think the Dodgers might be at a point where they might do something quote unquote I, I agree irrational even though I actually don't even think that this is that irrational Well I, I agree with you but I still don't think it's going
0: to be Gavin Lux because he is essentially big big league ready right now um there's a there's a non-zero chance I mean they just did this with Will Smith to catch right that they could call up Lux and have him be their starting baseman and uh, starting second baseman in the playoffs this year because you look at their their infield right now uh, Chris Taylor's hurt Kike Hernandez is hurt. Austin Barnes, their catcher, who had been playing from second bases in the minors. You don't want Max Muncy really playing second base every single day. So this isn't like some far off 18-year-old low A guy. I think because you have these two elite catchers, catching prospects in Smith and Ruiz, that's where you do it. From. The Pirates don't have any catching, and Smith is your guy now. You can't trade him. If you can build it around Ruiz, I I, I think you're right. That's a guy they don't want to give up, but now is the time to do it.
1: Um, I think that's fair. And that's that's sort of my point I'm making is I I can still, despite all the reports saying, oh, the Pirates aren't going to trade him, I could still see a scenario in which it goes down to the wire with the Dodgers and it's kind of a game of chicken. It's just a matter of like what package they, trade package they can agree on. From the other side, the Pirates should
0: be open to doing this, right? Like there's been some talk where, you know, Neil Huntington said, oh, I think he's going to be closing our next playoff win. And that's obviously just like GM non-speak for sure. Uh, The Pirates are 46 and 60. They have the second worst record in the National League. Their last three seasons, they've had 78, 75, and 82 wins. Uh, Free agents after this year include Corey Dickerson, Francisco Cervelli, Lonnie Chisinau, Francisco Liriano. And if you look at their starting rotation next year, Chris Archer, Joe Musgrove. Trevor Williams and Mitch Keller and then you'd like to say Jameson Tyon but it sure sounds like there may be elbow surgery uh in his near future the Pirates you know I projected them to be in last place in the central and they are uh it seems to me they're really far away from winning and that kind of goes back to the whole like yes you have Vasquez for a number of years uh I think that they are probably best served with making the move if if you can get a good deal back for them I don't know if they'll do that I think is the problem
1: um i guess we'll have to wait and see and there's he's not the only reliever who's getting talked about who very well might not move is it edwin diaz it is edwin diaz
0: that, i'm gonna but i'm gonna open up the uh the studio here uh, sort of the behind the sausage like we are doing this show and matt has his computer up and it's like, almost like we're playing battleship you know or like i can't see where his ships are and every time he looks down i think oh, is there a trade made are you seeing twitter has something happened uh but no that hasn't happened yet um do you think Edwin Diaz will get traded? I have so many reasons why he's better than the 495 ERA would indicate. I don't think the Mets are gonna do it. I don't actually have any idea what the Mets are doing, but I feel like they will not take the PR hit of turning around and trading him just a couple months after that huge deal.
1: I mean, I think if they I think there's a chance they could do it if they could get a if they could get a, a top fifty prospects. So at least they felt like, hey, yes, we traded Clinic, but we traded him away and we got someone of of similar value back. To me, that's the only way. That they they would do it. So whether or not there's a team out there, there was some talk about the Red Sox, but it sounds like that's fading. If their number one guy, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name Casas. Uh, uh, well, Dalbeck. Oh, yeah. oh, no. oh, oh. Uh, uh, that what? might be yeah, Tristan. Is it Casas or Cases? I'm not sure. Yeah. But it sounds like that's not going to happen. But if if there was a player out there who who is sort of close to that tier, I think they they be they might be tempted to do it. But if the if the Pirates won't move.
0: Uh, Vasquez, Diaz to the Dodgers is an interesting.
1: So yes. And, and so, supposedly the the Rays have, have apparently been, uh, again, all this could be, everything we're saying now could I be know. totally. Great idea doing a podcast the day before the trade deadline, guys. Um, <laughs> but um, we'll, why don't you go through a little bit of? Um, you, you wrote a piece about this about why Diaz is sort of um, deceptively better than his his uh, you know ERA shows. Him yeah, this I, th- year.
0: I think most informed fans know that ERA is not necessarily the best way to judge a reliever. Uh, but it, I don't know. It
1: is, not, it is not the best way to. Well,
0: judge a I, well, I was going to say, but based on some of the feedback I've heard on Twitter, maybe a lot of people still do think it's a good way to judge a reliever. He has a 4.95 ERA. That is obviously uh, bad and. Part of that is just because when you don't throw a lot of innings, you know, having just a bad game or two can really inflate your mark for the rest of the year, and that's sort of what happened to him. He has had three really, truly atrocious games, two against the Phillies, one against the Dodgers, where he allowed 13 earned runs in three games. He's allowed 22 earned runs all season long, so half of his earned runs have come in three games. If you just take out uh, those three games, he's had 41 other appearances, 39 innings. His ERA is 208. Now, obviously, that's true for everybody. I looked at that for Kenley Jansen, too. His ERA is 367. You take out his three worst games. It's 184. The point is not to just ignore the three bad games. The point is, hey, ERA doesn't tell you a great deal
1: about a relief pitcher. But- not to mention the fact and this is like a little, I'm getting maybe like in the weeds here, but a lot of times with a relief pitcher, it almost doesn't matter. Once you've given up more than a couple runs— like giving up five runs is often the same as giving up two runs are you advocating pitching to the score <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's at a certain point it almost doesn't even matter anymore if you blow in the game you blow in the game <laughs> i guess so uh as to diaz uh he's in
0: this weird spot where his strikeouts are down by a lot from 44 percent to 34.7 percent. that's a big drop that's bad uh but that's down from second best in baseball to 18th best in baseball so it's down from like amazing is still really good it's still better than ryan presley or chapman or adam Avina. like it's it's bad to convert that 10 percent uh, of strikeouts into non-strikeouts still very very good and so i wanted to know why he throws two pitches he throws a four-seamer and he throws a slider four-seamer is still pretty good uh the pitch velocity is almost identical from last year when he uh lets the ball get hit in the air fly balls and line drives the distance is actually down from last year 284 feet last year to 271 this year X of velocity hasn't changed. It's all about his four-seamer. And while he has allowed 180 points more slugging on the four-seamer, his expected slugging is only up by 20 points. Last year, he probably overperformed. This year, he's underperformed. That's an important point we'll get back to in a second. The problem here is about his slider. At his best, his slider has been arguably the best pitch in baseball, and it has not been at his best uh, this year. If you look at the last four seasons since 2016, his batting average against his slider was 141, 144, 129, 321 this year. Uh that's worse. His strikeout rate went from 56% to 46% to 56% to 28%. Obviously that's worse. Um, but not for any of the reasons you would think. Velocity's not down, spin hasn't changed, movement extension, none of that's changed. What has changed is the location. And I tweeted out what I think was an interesting heat map about this. Thirty-four percent of the time last year he threw his slider in the strike zone. This year, it's up to forty-six percent. It used to be a pitch you would bury in the dirt and get chases. Now it's kind of more of a hittable pitch, as you would expect. It's getting crushed. Uh, the slugging percentage against it has gone from two thirty-four to five seventy-one. Now you could argue a bunch of different things. You know, whatever uh, is happening with uh, you know the ball does that affect his grip? Does it matter that his catcher is a weak framer at the bottom? Wilson Ramos is baseball's weakest framer at framing low pitches last year in Seattle. Mike Zanino was top five. Is it about confidence? Is that a plausible effect? I mean, you, you follow the Mets pretty closely. Is this a thing that uh, could be happening to him?
1: It, right now, it definitely seems like um, there's less confidence in the slider. That game uh, against the Pirates on Saturday, Sunday, he came in. Like they, they were winning like by five runs and Tyler Bachelor gave up a couple runs. They brought him in. He actually ended up giving up a home run, and then to close up the game it was basically only fastballs. He gave up a home run on a slider, um, and then it was like only fastballs. And it definitely seems like that, that that could be it could be a confidence issue at play.
0: So his hard hit rate is way up. Last year thirty five percent. This year it's up to forty four percent. That is uh, one of the worst three hundredth out of three hundred and fourteen pitchers. You're gonna be so happy I did this. 302nd is Luis Perdomo. I found a way to get him into the show, not necessarily in a positive way. Um, so what we've had so far is that he's missing fewer bats and he's getting crushed. Those are all very bad things. However, he's getting crushed by unfortunate outcomes, however you want to phrase that. He has a 398 batting average on balls in play. That would be the sixth highest in the entire history of baseball. <laughs> so that tells me something. Hey, that's weird. Uh, and there's two reasons you would have a high bat. One is if you're getting crushed, which, okay, he is. Um, but one is if you know balls are finding grass and whether that's bad luck or bad defense is up to your interpretation. However, he has a, a 398 BAPIP, and he has a 344 expected BAPIP based on combinations of line, of uh, X velocity and launch angle. Uh, the gap between those two numbers is baseball's ninth highest. One of the guys who's higher, Ju's Familia, another Met, we know the Mets defense isn't very good and especially on ground balls, this is my favorite one. He has allowed a 514 batting average on ground balls. That is the highest in baseball. His expected batting average on ground balls, 344. Um, we we have noticed recently that Ahmed Rosario has played much better defensively, but for most of the season, that wasn't true. Uh, Alonzo has been fine, but not great. Uh, J.D. Davis hasn't been strong. This is not a good Mets defense. Um, and then the, the final takeaway here is he is still above average. If you look at expected weighted on base, which we use for quality of contact and amount of contact last year. His 215 mark was third best in baseball this year. His 274 is 44th in baseball, but still 86th percentile. So it seems to me this is a combination of a guy who isn't throwing his best pitch in the same way for reasons and is getting hit a little bit harder. And then on top of that is getting hurt by unfortunate outcomes or bad defense. This is a long way of saying he's still very good. And if you get him on a team with a better infield defense, potentially a better catcher, I feel like he could still be an elite asset.
1: Uh, yeah, in fact, you know, I am I am checking Twitter as this, this goes on, and uh, there was a, a quote. I guess Alex Cora is doing his pregame uh, uh, availability, and Chris Cotillo, uh, one of the Red Sox beat reporters, tweeted out Alex Cora said he's taking a more active role in deadline in deadline preparation this year after sitting back and listening a year ago. Teams are going to make trades. We have to be patient. And as a few people have pointed out, uh, Cora has been vocal. He had Diaz as his closer when he was the manager for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. That he has been vocal in wanting to get Diaz, and what's interesting about Diaz for the Red Sox is that they don't. It's been well reported that they don't want to go over the luxury tax, or over the next like uh, competitive balance. They're already over one of them. Over one of them. However, Diaz is still pre-arb, so he actually doesn't make a lot of money. So I think they would might be able to make a trade and stay under that number for Diaz. Whereas some of the other higher-priced relievers, they wouldn't be able to do that. So that's in many ways he's sort of a a unique fit. For the Red Sox, and they have a lot of big-money players coming off the books next year, notably Rick Porcell, possibly J.D. Martinez if he opts out. So going into next year, they actually would have a lot more flexibility to make it work when Diaz hits uh, arbitration. At this point, I, I'm of the belief the Mets shouldn't trade him. I don't think they should trade him or Syndergaard. I kind of think they should just play out the season. Well, I mean,
0: we'll get to Strowman in a second. But yeah, if you're acquiring Strowman, you kind of have to keep Syndergaard. I have... Literally, no idea what they're going to do. I couldn't even begin to tell you.
1: We'll get to Stroman in a second. I'll yeah. do, I want to get a, uh, a brief Arise. As- a brief aside about Luis Arise, which will actually be a segue into Stroman. Just you wait. Um, last week, you know, we were talking about Luis Arise, and he was uh, this interesting young player for the Twins, rookie who's uh, playing very well right now. He's at three sixty eight, four forty two, four seventy one, with eighteen strikeouts, eighteen walks, and eleven strikeouts in 156 plate appearances we we're kind of marveling at how he was doing it because he has one of the lower hard hit rates in baseball and uh silly me i just speculated instead of checking the numbers i said oh he must be my guess is he's really good at you know kind of getting it in sort of the the sweet spot on the bat in the in you know the good the good launch ankle zone i probably said it more clumsily than that as it turns out we have a number for that
0: we have a number for everything
1: on um uh on the baseball is on leaderboards now, we have something called sweet spot percentage, which is essentially the percent of batted balls between eight and thirty-two degrees, which is, you know, everything from low line drives to like uh yeah, th- think well of struck it, fly balls. Think
0: of it as the uh as the hard hit rate of launch angle, right? Because you can look at average launch angle and average exit velocity, but we prefer hard hit rate. And this is sweet spot percentage. It's just regardless of how hard you hit it, where are you likely to get the best outcomes? And As Matt said, between 8 degrees and 32 degrees, and the MLB averages this year are impressive. If you just do that, forget how hard you hit it, just do it there. 6'10 batting average, slugging percentage of almost 1,200, and a weighted on base of 732. You hit it higher than that, pop-ups usually, your weighted on base is 155. Hit it below that, lousy grounders. Your weighted on base is 229. It's like the best thing you can do is to hit it uh, in those angles, uh, and Luis Arise is doing it, as you speculated, uh, correctly so, very well.
1: Yeah, amongst uh, hitters that least 125 balls in play this year, um, the leader in sweet spot percentage is Brendan Belt, uh, in fact, 44.9%, followed by Mike Trout, Whit Merrifield, then Luis Rise, followed by Cody Bellinger. That's that's not an impressive top five at all. <laughs> that is good company for uh, Luis Rise uh, to be in. So if you're wondering how a guy with one of the lowest hard hit rates in baseball is um, hitting 368 and doing it somewhat legitimately, um, that is how. He's doing it. Speaking of sweet spot percentage, uh, I was looking at Marcus, Stroman, Marcus Stroman's baseball savant player page, trying to figure out, okay, he's having what appears to be kind of a, I don't know, career year, but maybe the best year of his career, at least in terms of results. He has, a I think, a two two nine five ERA. He made the all-star team. And I noticed that he has the lowest sweet spot percentage uh, of all pitchers, uh, pitchers in baseball this year with a minimum of uh, 250 balls in play at 24.1%, right ahead of Wade Miley um Luis Castillo, Mike Soroka and Steven Strasburg. So again, that's a pretty that's good pretty company, company being I and mean, when you look at uh, Stroman, he has a 286 weighted on base against and a 286 expected weighted on base against. Exactly. So it is p- lines up perfectly that his expected results are working with uh, the outcomes. What did you think of the Stormont trade?
0: Uh, I thought it was fascinating. Like like everybody else on Earth, I was shocked it was the Mets who did it. You know, I don't think anybody thought that that was going to happen. So much for my grand proclamation, it was going to be Oakland, because I was really excited about that. I thought, yeah, in a vacuum, the deal was was fair and maybe somewhat surprising that nobody topped it from the from the Toronto side like the two prospects they get back uh they seem pretty interesting but you know one's 18 he's kind of far away uh, I, don't, I don't think anything but he thinks Anthony K is going to be an ace but you know it's fine it, it seemed okay um but what's hard to uh understand is just what happens next right like if they if they just get Stroman and they want him for you know what they think is a playoff run this year but probably isn't and next year like okay fine but now if they turn around and trade Syndergaard it's it's all speculation. We don't know what they might get, right? If they trade Diaz, I don't know. Are they just like moving pieces around and treading in place?
1: That's yeah, I mean to me at this point, I mean they trade away Jason Vargas, you know, the next day, but he's basically I mean, he's essentially replacement level. Yeah. Like, you know, that. but to me at this point, you know, their their playoff odds are basically like ten percent on fan graphs. It's not great. Like, but at the same time, they're they just improved their team. And they have a week schedule the next couple of weeks. They have Syndergaard under control for two more years. They have Strowman for next year. They just locked up to Grom. All their young hitters are under contract yep. for the next couple of years. It kind of just feels to me like, why not just stranger things have happened? Just play. Maybe you'll have an exciting second half of this. I, season.
0: I agree, especially now. Like, Ahmed Rosario on both sides of the ball he's playing out of his mind. You know, he's hitting well, he's fielding well. JD Davis is crushing the ball. You know, you hope you get some of the other, other guys healthy. Like, they won't be a buyer, but it would be fun if they just got some like decent bullpen guys. You know, that, that's I mean,
1: that's that's w- what I would do. to see if they could add like a, a like a, a B reliever for for low cost um, to to beef up what has been a weak bullpen and hope that sort of Diaz can start getting the results that you would expect. Right now, Fangraphs has them at at fourteen point five percent. Like that's that's not nothing, you know. So it's it just seems I I I I, I like this the the Stroman trade because I think that you know, often teams get too caught up in, like, are we buyers or are we sellers? Like, what are we? And sometimes it's like, you know what, let's just make a trade to improve our team for, like, the medium term. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the, you know, the the A's have done this well over the years. They've never really bottomed out. They've had some bad years and disappointing years, but they've also had some surprisingly good years, and that's because they've never actually completely bottomed out.
0: Here's a grand plan for the Mets that I'm making up completely on the spot. Oh, I'm intrigued. Um, They should go get... Not the elite relievers, obviously, but some of these like rental relievers just aren't going to cost that much. Like you could probably get Daniel Hudson and Craig Stammon, you know, or, or Francisco Liriano for not that much. And they're not stars, right? But they will improve your bullpen because, uh, you know, the Mets could just use capable guys. They should do that. They should go get Martin Maldonado, who the Cubs barely are playing. Now the Contreras is back. And we just talked about Ramos. He's not a great defensive catcher. Martin Maldonado is a good defensive catcher. And um, this is the part I'm not entirely sure I actually like as the words are about to come out of my mouth. Cut Juan Ligaris. Trade almost nothing to Kansas City for Billy Hamilton. I know he can't hit. We all know he can't hit. But the Mets desperately need a good defensive center fielder. This has been my thing for the Rockies for like four years now, right? I don't. None of this will happen. They will probably end up selling somebody. But I think if you can kind of like make it interesting without You know, blowing up your remaining prospects to go "quote unquote" all in, Uh, and don't trade Syndergaard. You can't do that if you're doing any of this. I don't know what that one is.
1: I mean, I guess I could see the argument for. uh, uh, I'd listed, you know, Syndergaard and and, uh, Wheeler. Talk about at the end of the show, we were going to do sort of a trade deadline speed round, but I guess might as well just talk about them now. I could see trading Wheeler depending on what you get, but there's also part of me that just says, just hold on to him, give him a qualifying offer. Your pitching staff for next year is going to need to go out and free agency anyway and get some guys and if he signs elsewhere we'll get some draft a draft pick and the money and as you saw this year with the Mets they were actually pretty creative with their draft pick money yeah. but so but, I don't know. but
0: but they'll hang on to him and then not give him the qualifying <laughs> offer that's <laughs> well, that would be that would be <laughs>
1: That would be foolish. <laughs> Unless, of course, he was, you know, like, seriously hurt or something. Well, but. of course. Listen, if you're going to trade Syndergaard, you might as well trade DeGrom too. <laughs> Let's get weird, all right? Oh, yeah, and um, that, the one thing I wanted to mention also while we were talking about um, um, sweet spot rate is another discovery I made while I was kind of looking this stuff up, and I thought it was relevant it's relevant to the NL East because what, the team that probably fascinates me the most on the pitching side this year is the Braves because I think that their pitchers, a lot of the young pitchers, have I mean, stroke has been great. Freed has been up and you know, sort of had you know moments of of dominance. And then Tehran's been kind of effective, but not really sure yeah. how.
0: And, and keiko has been like fine. You know, his velocity's down. He's okay.
1: But one thing, so I started looking at the um uh the barrel barrel percentage, uh, barrels uh percentage uh, relative to balls in play, and the top two in baseball this year are Braves. Um, Max Fried and Mike Soroka which I thought was interesting and then I also noticed that Julio Teheran is one of the l- ranks among the top in uh, top 20 in uh uh sweet spot percentage and we've talked a little bit before about how the Braves brought in Mike Fast from the Astros to so sort of the sort of the the, the pitch guru the pitch p- pitch effects or now whatever well for for artist formerly known as pitch effects guru and I've been really interested to see some of the um success that their pitchers have had and starting to think more of the Braves as kind of a cutting edge team in a way that we never did before. Because of the guys like Soroka and Freed? And And because of, I mean, just, you know, now, like, to a certain extent, some of these front office people kind of have identities and they switch teams and you see things change in front offices. And, you know, the Braves were never really considered a cutting edge team in any way. But then, you know, when Anthopolis came in, he changed the whole makeup of the front office. And, you, never, you know, you don't know, you know, you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But Fast was one of the first big hires with the Astros, and they became basically at the forefront of everything that's going on with with pitch preparation and how players are, you know, targeting guys with high spin rate and turning them into taking taking guys with good outputs and turning them into effective pitchers. And uh, I'm very curious to see the kinds of things the Braves maybe are doing as, as well.
0: Uh, that's interesting. And you know what I wouldn't have thought I'd be saying about the Braves at the deadline? Uh, they might need an outfielder, right? Markekis is hurt, right? He's going to be out, I don't know about the entire season, but at least for the next couple weeks. And, uh, you know, Austin Riley has sort of stopped hitting to the point where they should almost send him down to AAA. Like, he got off to such a great start, uh, but a lot of swing and miss in his game, and he has really not hit for like six weeks now. Ender Inciarte is back. He's a great defender and not much of a hitter and that leaves you with ronald acuna who's obviously a superstar and gambling on adam duvall who sort of fell off the face of the earth for the last year they might need an outfield and
1: um austin riley has been brutal for about well yeah that's what yeah, i just said yeah, yeah. sorry <laughs> <laughs> i had to reiterate it just because it's been and that's how bad it's been yeah.
0: um, so it's just weird you wouldn't have thought of them as being that kind i don't i don't necessarily have a name there like you could get nick castellanos i guess but I don't know who they're going to get. But it's weird because it feels like maybe they should get Yasiel Puig. <laughs> listen, every team who needs an outfielder, should get, maybe Hunter Pence, should get Yasiel Puig. Cleveland, Tampa, uh, Oakland,
1: what's somebody. Let's save our, our trade deadline speed round. There's one more player you wanted to hit on before we um, to trade deadline speed Paul round. Paul
0: Goldschmidt. Somebody asked me to look into Paul Goldschmidt. And, you know, he has gotten off to a very interesting start to his St. Louis career. Uh, so far, his season is the weakest of his career uh 339 on base 464 slugging he has been about 10% above league average and he had a june that was really bad 274 on base 309 slugging it was the fourth worst month of his career however he just homered in six straight games four against the pirates two against the astros uh he just put up a july or he's in the midst of a july 348 on base 687 slugging it's one of the 15 best of his career so someone asked me to look into it and you know talk about it on the podcast and I wish I had a better answer uh but it just seems like it's partially you know a good hot streak and that's great but i don't see any meaningful changes here with the exception that he's hitting the ball in the air more if you look at his monthly launch angle the first month of the season it was 16 degrees and then it was down uh, 12 degrees 13 degrees and all of a sudden it's up to 18 degrees you can see that really well by the way in the uh, rolling charts that we have on baseball savant and uh, darren woman put up a new tool that really helps you look at the rolling average leaderboards um, which helps you get a lot Quicker two guys who are really hot or really cold. They're very cool. I suggest check them out. But as far as uh, Goldschmidt goes, it, this isn't about good or bad luck. I mean, his expected weight on base is three fifty seven. His actual is three forty three. So that's pretty close. Uh, and he's been dead on the last couple of years. You know, the last two years his his expected was four hundred four and three eighty four, and his actual was four hundred and three ninety. And if you look at him this year, his hard hits down a little. His walks are down a little. Strike up strikeouts are up a little. Um, it's nice that he's elevating the ball a little more. That helps. But I don't see meaningful changes here. I still think he's a good, solid player. Uh, but I'm having a hard time finding the superstar that we once saw. The Cubs, or the Cardinals, by the way, are tied with the Cubs right now, fifty-six and forty-nine. They need, I guess, another starting pitcher. Probably. I don't think Zach cup from the Dodgers is going to do it in terms of left-handed relief. Um, but the Cubs are, you know, full of their own problems, and the Brewers are like right there as well. This this is going to be, I think, the most fun uh, race to watch for the rest of the year.
1: Uh. I- no question, because all those teams—think like you have a couple teams fighting for the division, then a couple more trying to, uh, another one fighting for the wild card. It's it's uh, it's it's the most compelling.
0: Uh, so you wanted to uh, talk about some of these guys on our big list here. We have a big list of trade deadline guys. Obviously, uh, we're not going to get to all of them. Uh, is there someone that you don't think is going to get traded, but that you'd really like to see traded? I have an answer to this, uh, so I'll go first. Franmil Reyes. <laughs> I don't th- I, there's been rumors. I don't think they'll actually move him, but it would be super fun to see him go somewhere where uh everybody could just watch him mash. Uh
1: that's a good one. Uh would Merrifield for me just because I they think They should trade with
0: Merrifield. <laughs> what are you guys doing?
1: Would Merrifield – uh sheehan has been talking about this on Twitter all day. Uh would Merrifield of the Cubs makes so much sense I, sort of. I think it does. Well, it does in the sense that they could desperately use a
0: guy like him. It's just that if they decide they're going to make him available, which I don't think they will, they're going to ask for the sun and the
1: moon, and I don't think the Cubs have the farm system to do it. If he's available, someone else can do better. I guess that's probably true. The, pro- the problem is trading position players at the deadline. It's always tough to sort of – I guess Merrifield can pl- – he plays outfield too, so you can yep. you can fit him in a couple – couples in the second base or in, in right field, so he's got that going for him. But um, that's he's he, to me, he's sort of like Vasquez with the Pirates, where it's like, okay, this is – I don't see. Merrifield having much. His trade value will never be higher. He's thirty years old. Right. He's in the middle of a very good year. Even this offseason, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it's it's, it's and the, uh, and and the Royals feel like they're at least two or three years away from being relevant again. Exactly. Well, that's. I mean, and the fact that he's a little bit older actually, I think hurt. I think that might be hurting his his the the Royals probably. The problem with his perceived value for the Royals is probably out of whack for that reason.
0: I saw a rumor uh, on Twitter today from someone reputable, I can't even remember whom, that said the uh, Astros were still in, interested in Trevor Bauer. Which, you know, we know there's a lot of history there between, you know, those two teams, uh, between Bauer and the Astros. Uh, and for that reason, I have a hard time seeing it happening. But also, there's a pretty decent chance that Cleveland and Houston could face each other in the playoffs, right? Like, if Houston's the number one seed and Cleveland wins a wild card game, or if they end up being, like, the number two, number three uh, seeds in the ALDS, now you're facing off against one another. And I'm sure the front offices are thinking about it like that. That seems unlikely at best to me that that actually happens i mean for the content hashtag content that would be really funny i, I can't see that happening uh
1: no uh not gonna I, I mean i could see i've been waiting to see the indians try and flip bauer to a team that might be able to give them a rental starter back plus something else to sort of fill the spot in the rotation That's so interesting. Like, so i thought that? like like one of zach wheeler tanner roark like you could trade him, fill a spot in the rotation with another, like, big league caliber pitcher, and then also get something else back to kind of cover, you know, the the fact that Bauer's not a rental, but these guys are. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. I kind of think the Indians will just end up holding on and hopefully adding Yasiel Puig. Some Somebody
0: needs to, like, he's been hitting so well, as we've talked about. What do you think is going to happen at the just, like, a general overview of the trade deadline in the sense of, I think we both agree we're going to see a ton of mid-level relievers traded, I think that's especially true because there's no August waiver period now. So if you just want depth, if you need a backup catcher or whatever, now's the time to do that. So I think we'll see a ton of those little moves.
1: We saw David Phelps get traded today. Yeah,
0: exactly right. Like You know, Maldonado, whatever. I don't think Bumgarner is going to go anywhere. I don't think Bauer is going to go anywhere. You know, Giles is hurt now. I don't think the Pirates will actually trade Vasquez. Um, do you think we'll end up being like unsatisfied with the names that we're going to see by tomorrow? Uh,
1: I mean, it kind of depends on not only— gets traded but also where they get traded like I think Robbie Ray will get traded you know it'll be more interesting if he gets it'll be a little spicier if he gets traded to the Yankees um, same with Mike Minor. I think actually Mike Minor, he hasn't limited no trade clause so I don't know exactly if, if the Yankees are on it or not and if how they, it's not public what his list is I think he's got 10 teams uh, but to me Clint Frazier for Mike Minor makes a lot of sense because Clint Frazier should get traded to an AL team um, he's got a lot of defensive shortcomings I mean they the Rangers, Hunter Pence has basically has been their DH, and Shinsu Chu has been their DH. Like they could actually bring in Frazier for next year and have a guy who could be like a DH sometimes yeah. outfielder. He'd be a really good fit on that roster,
0: Un- unless that guy is already Willie Calhoun. Who I guess that's is, right. he's not much of an outfielder either.
1: <laughs> I guess I guess that's fair. But I w- there was also rumors of Frazier to the D for for a rate package. I, I just don't. I, I Frazier in the NL seems like he's going to hurt a lot of his value by having to play. Yeah, I feel Robbie Ray. I don't see as a huge gain for the Yankees for this year because he's not someone I'd feel great about starting a playoff game because he's just so so. He, there's always the risk he's going to just like flame out in the second inning. And if I'm the Yankees, I'm paying a premium for him. He's not a rental, so I guess you could slot him into the rate, rotation next year. Take Sebastian's slot, but. It just doesn't feel like he's enough of an upgrade to pay any sort of premium asset to get. And he would probably cost a decent asset to to bring back.
0: Yeah, he's interesting because he's so wild that he can't go deep into games. But if you're a team like the Yankees, maybe you don't care about that so much. Because, But you might be right. Maybe Cashman just says, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to get three more relievers and make my bullpen of doom. It's going to be great.
1: You know how, (laughs) how I would like Ray utilized on a team like the Yankees would be behind an opener. That's fun. Like in a playoff game if they're like, you know, we're actually Chad Green first inning. Here comes Robbie Ray and then Audvino and Chapman
0: and and don't forget they will probably at some point get back Potencas and Severino who may both be working out of the bullpen. Or or you know, we say bullpen as though it's like a one-out job. Maybe, you know, Severino's there for two innings, right?
1: Um yeah, and we saw I mean, we saw last year with the Red Sox, who got very creative with how they used their starting pitchers in the bullpen and it was basically what carried them through to the uh to the World Series, so teams are gonna teams will definitely follow suit. They've seen they've seen it works. That, that might be the Dodgers again. Although I, I do going back to the original point, I think you're right that if there
0: is any time to kind of break the mold and say I'm gonna trade a Kai I don't really want to trade, it is probably now for the Dodgers, and it is probably for Vasquez which means I've guaranteed it won't happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll find out. Hopefully by the time you've listened to this, it still it still holds up.
0: Uh, tomorrow, so we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, tomorrow is the trade deadline, and there are a lot of day games. So watch will be in full effect. Uh, I think there are four or five games happening right oh, around it's, the deadline. It's, it's wild. It's going to be a scene, man. Uh, thanks for listening. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast.